end of the Perimeter Church podcast. The bottom line to the story of grace is that it's all about God bringing dead sinners back to life and adopting them forever as sons and daughters. Lead teacher Randy Pope finishes the series, A Glorious Grace, The Sovereignty of Grace, with the fourth part of a message entitled, The Doctrines of Grace. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Let's now turn our attention to preparing for the teaching. So let's pray and let's ask God to meet us here. Now, Father, we, we bow now to say, would you, would you be here to teach us? And would you feed our souls from your word? We pray, Father, as we walk through a, a very challenging subject matter, that you wouldn't just allow our minds to understand it, but hearts to embrace what your truth says. I pray that many here today are going to experience love in an unconditional way as they've never experienced it. And as a result of the truth that we might find freedom, some of us freedom we've never experienced. And so God, we invite you to be among us. Feed us now, we pray. And particularly, I pray, Father, for our friends that are here that are outside of a real understanding of what it means to be a part of a part of the family of God that don't understand you at this point. I pray that this would be that day that they might see that love as they've never seen it before. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. We're in a conclusion of a series. It seems odd the first week of the year we conclude the last week of a series, but we were to finish the last week of the year before Christmas and uh, we needed one more week, so we're bringing it over now to this week. Some of you are coming, obviously, and have not been a part of this church. You've not been a part of this series. You have no idea. And here it is, the last week of the series. Well, I want to make sure that you can be brought up and you can understand. This is a series on grace. And the series is called A Glorious Grace, and we've divided it into multiple series within the bigger series of grace. The last one that we're dealing with is called the doctrines of grace. Doctrines, meaning the teachings of grace. As they do with salvation, the doctrines of grace. This is a topic that's been talked about for hundreds of years in the church. And it's been a talk that has, a discussion that has literally divided churches. I mean, a history of dividing churches. And here we are addressing the very matter that divides churches. Why would we do that? I'm going to suggest to you just by way of review that what we're talking about here is deep. It is really deep. But folks, don't miss how practical this stuff really is. These doctrines of grace drive at the very heart of what the love of God is to each one of us. I'm personally convinced until we run deep in these type of subject matters, we will always kind of stay at the top surfacey about, about a relationship with God. We don't really, really, really get deep where we need to go. So I've encouraged you, don't run from deep. 
Don't run from it. You'll never win. If hard is something that you run away from, you won't get what you want to get. So in the faith, I'm telling you, young people particularly, hear this, run deep. And if it's challenging, if it's hard, that's okay. Give it time. Now, in light of that, I've already said that it is not my goal, and it is not my goal, to try to convince you of any theological position that I hold or this church holds. That is not my goal. It is my intention to help you. It's to feed you. See, I'm not your pastor. I I really am not. I'm your pastor teacher. I'm not your teacher. I'm your pastor teacher. That means that the best way that I can pastor you is by teaching you the truths of God. And in doing so, these are teachings that you're going to find that will enrich your life as you could never, never imagine. So, here's the deal, folks. You and I are craving something more than anything else. We want to be loved. We all want to be loved. And you know what we want? We want that love to be unconditional. We don't want a love which says, I love you because this. No. I love you because of that. No. Kids, you know good and well, you don't want your mom and dad to say, I love you because you won the ball game. You scored the big, you actually had the best grade. You, did. you don't want to hear that. We're all crying out say, would you just love me because I am who I am? That's all I'm really looking for. Folks, if you miss this part of the teaching, you've missed the heart of the teaching. I teach this so that you might know how unconditionally you are loved of God. Now, in light of that, five doctrines. Let's review very quickly what they are. Hold on to your seats if you're new, okay? Week number one, we talked about the first doctrine. God's grace is essential. That has a, that has a nickname to it. It's called total depravity. Not that we are as bad as we can be, but I'll tell you this, there's no part of us that's not inflicted with evil and sin. We are what has been said through the years, defining this teaching of the Bible as total depravity. Hmm. Let me read from my journal once again. I read this from, uh, from my journal a few weeks ago. Unless we see the extent of our sin, we cannot grasp the depth of love required by God to embrace us unconditionally. Do you hear that? I mean, if we don't see the extent of our sin, oh, I know we all believe we're sinners if you're a part of the faith of Christianity. That's not in debate. The issue is to what extent are we sinful? Are we, are we just hurt by sin? Are we, are we confused by sin? Or are we, as the scripture uses the word, dead in our sin? And so we taught about that so that we could understand. But hear this. The, the great thing, as we see the depth of our sin, it's not like, oh, woe is me, look where I'm left. No, 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 no. We get to grasp the depth of the love of God, which is required to brace us unconditionally, not based on what we've done. Leads us to number two. The next week we talk about God's grace is sovereign. I picked up in the journal, and it read this way, and unless we see the extent of God's sovereignty, his power, his rule, In showing us grace, we will always see his embrace conditioned by something we've done to merit his love. 
I'm just convinced that most of the Christian church today believes that we have in some way merited the favor of God. And therefore, we live in this performance trap, always trying to feel like, oh, does God love me now? Am I really what? And it roots back to this because we, we fail to understand the sovereignty of God's love. It's called unconditional election. Oh, 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 oh. you mean God chooses people? He predestines people? He elects people? I mean, that's like a no-no today because everybody responds just as I did initially here. And they say, oh, it can't be. That wouldn't be God. Well, here's the reality. There is beauty for you and me in understanding that if you want to understand our unconditional love from God. The third week. Number three, God's grace is particular. God's grace is particular. Well, what do we mean by that? The term is called limited atonement. Uh, the teaching that God's atonement, his work on the cross, was really directed to particular people, not everyone at large. Uh, God's grace sufficient for everyone, but efficient for those whom he has literally chosen to be his own. Now, you and I hear that, and you know what we think? We really think, well, okay, now you're talking about everything. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Fatalism, that there's no freedom of choice. That's not true either. So don't jump to that. In fact, I encourage you, if you're interested in this subject matter, go get the podcast where it's taught, and you get the, the, the breadth of the teaching. But, but now this third piece, it says God's atonement, limited or particular. Here's the big question. What saves sinners? Now, the answer that most people give to that in the church today is that, well, it's faith. It's our faith that saves us. Well, there's great value in faith. You cannot be fa saved without faith. But the reality is that's not what really saves us. What saves us is the work of the cross. And so we walk through that. Well, what are the implications? If he died for everyone, then why wouldn't everyone be followers of his if that's what saves us? Or is there an element where our faith is what saves us itself? It's a work that we do. And so we walk through that one. Now, before I get into the closing two, four and five, can I just say this, that these particular teachings, they are hard. And they are challenging. But at the same time, we choose what we believe about God's word, but we don't hold it with great sense of authority and pride. I've said this over and over. Whenever godly, Bible-believing people disagree on God's word, I mean real God's people, don't be dogmatic. But at the same time, don't go to the extent to say, well, you know, people don't agree and people don't know and you know, Randy says, he may be wrong on this. Who am I? He's been to graduate school for theology, and he's studied, he knows, and I don't know near as much as him, and therefore, uh, who knows? It really, I, I just don't know. It doesn't matter. Don't believe that either. The illustration I've used is this. It would be like saying, some people in nutrition say, hey, lot of protein. And other people say, oh, keep the carbs low. Other people say, hey, you need a lot of fat. Some people say, no, 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 not much fat. That'll kill you. Everybody has their different views. So it would be very easy to conclude and say this. 
hey, nobody seems to know, so it doesn't really matter. I'm just going to eat all sugar. <laughs> now, you wouldn't do that. You'd say, whoa, 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 no. There is a right answer. We just have to fight to figure out that right answer. And I'm going to encourage you folks, for the rest of your life, you young people, study the Word of God. Search it out. Try to figure out what does God really have to say about these subject matters. And then embrace with conviction what you see, with humility but conviction. And then keep studying. And when you realize that maybe you've missed, it's okay. Follow what you find in God's truth. It is the best way to follow your Christ. Now let's get to number four and number five. Number four and number five are very critical to our understanding of salvation. Number four, God's grace is irresistible. It's called irresistible grace. So if God purposed to save certain people, if that be case, and if Christ accomplished the work for their salvation, then I think what we would conclude is that God must provide the means for calling them to that salvation. So let's look at Romans chapter 8, verse 30. Verse 29 has begun saying, those whom God foreknows, those he predestined. And then it says here, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And we'll pick up there later. Those he predestined, he called. Now, the question is, what is this idea of a call? And is the call of God effectual? Meaning, does everyone he calls come to faith or not? Well, here's the first thing you need to understand. There is an outward call that man makes. Whoever talked to you about the gospel when you first heard it, maybe you were at a camp, uh, maybe you were at church, or maybe a friend came alongside you and said, hey, can I, can I help explain this very important thing that's happened in my life? And you listened with enthusiasm, and you heard what's called the gospel, and you became a follower. Whatever the case may be, you were called at that point to say, come, follow Christ. Come follow Christ, but that is man's call. It hits our ears, but it doesn't necessarily hit our heart. So certainly not everyone who's called by man comes to faith. But the teaching I'm going to suggest to you, biblical, is this, that when God calls, we do follow. He calls with a grace that is irresistible. Let me show you John 6, 37. John 6, 37 says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. John 6, 44 and 45, no one can come to me, listen to this, unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. People do resist man's call, in fact, by nature, do you understand we have to? Listen to 1 Corinthians 2.14. It says this. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. So if you go back to total depravity, it would say we're dead in our trespasses and sins. So here we are and we get a call. And the call says, come alive. We can't make ourselves come alive. How do we do that? This is where the beauty of God's grace, it's irresistible when he calls to the heart. 
accompanied certainly by the call of man. But that's the irresistible grace that we're talking about. In other words, there must be some influence greater than our own resistance or really no one would come to faith. That's the concept of irresistible grace. Let me quote a Puritan writer, great man, 17th century. He writes this way. Uh, his name is Thomas Watson. He says, he conquers the pride, he, God, conquers the pride of the heart, makes the will which stood out as a fort royal against him to yield and stoop to his grace. He makes the st stony heart bleed. Oh, it is a mighty call. Why then do some men seem to speak of a moral persuasion that God in the conversion of a sinner only morally persuades and no more? If God in conversion should only morally persuade and no more, then he does not put forth so much power in saving men as the devil does in destroying them. We call that irresistible grace. If there is irresistible grace, tell me this, who gets the glory for our grace. God gets the glory, doesn't he? Thus, God's love, unconditional in part, because his grace is irresistible. Now we come to the fifth and final piece. Just hang on because we wrap this in the practical real quickly. But number five, God's grace is non-retractable. Now this one we like. The other four we tend to chafe at initially. I'll share my story again at the end, but, but I did. I'm telling you, we don't like these first four. There's something that just doesn't quite make sense about them. But then we come to this one, number five, and we go, I like this one because this one is teaching us that we cannot lose our salvation. And most of us probably as Christians hold to that. You that are seekers love to hear that. Oh, if I ever do get saved, I will always be saved. That sounds good to me. I don't have to worry about losing it tomorrow, getting it the next day. Oh, that sounds good. This is a historic teaching. And by the way, all of these teachings are historic. They're not something novel and new. In fact, I've said it, the Hall of Fame, so many of the great, great, greats that you and I revere in the faith historically, they held to these beliefs. Summarized well in the Baptist Confession of 1689, it reads like this. Beloved, effectually called and sanctified by the Spirit, and given the precious faith of his elect unto, can neither totally nor finally fall from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. So let's go back to our text, Romans 8, 29 and 30. Here is the deal. For those whom he foreknew. Now, somebody help me if that's been here. Do you remember, what does foreknow? What does the word know mean? Love, that's right. It is those he foreloved. Well, some people say, I don't think so. I think it just means he sees who's coming, who's gonna come to me, who will accept me, who won't. Even if you, if you think that, listen to what it says. Those who he foreknew or foreloved, if that be the case, that is what the word means, he also predestined. And he says, and all of those he predestined, it says the reason why he did, so that may be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And then it goes on to say, and those whom he predestined, he also called. There's the call. 
And by the way, all of those whom he called, he also justified. That means declaring someone to be righteous. That's the point where you and I came to faith if we're already Christians. For you that are seekers, that would be the time when you might finally bend the knee and say, you know what, I really do want to follow you, Jesus. I love you. I, I, I thank you for what you've done, and I want to follow you the rest of my life. At that point, you're justified, you're declared righteous before God. But then it says, and all those who are justified, these whom he justified, he also glorified. Let me remind you, you can interpret that one of two ways. You, can, you have to put one of the words, it has to be assumed, either some or all. It could be some of those whom he foreloved, he predestined. And some of those he predestined, he also called. And some of those he called, he did, he justified some. And some that he justified, he also glorified. Do you know what it means to be glorified? That's the process. Glorification is us becoming more and more and more like our Savior as we grow in the faith. When we are ultimately finished being glorified, that's the state of glorification where we are glorified now. It's over. Many people think that's when we die. Well, it's not exactly. It's when, it's when Christ has come back, whether we have died or not. That's the ultimate glorification. Then it is complete and finished. So it either means that some of those who were called were justified, and some of those who were justified, they actually get to heaven, and they, they get to, to have full glorification. Well, it doesn't mean that. You can assume that what he's saying is all those whom he foreloved, he predestined, and all those he predestined, he called. All those he justified, called, he justified, and all those he justified, he also glorifies. You never will lose your salvation. So look at these last verses. Philippians 1.6. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. John 6.39. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. And lastly, John 10, 28. And I give eternal life to them. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. All right, teaching done. Boring, hard, difficult. Okay, done. Thank you for hanging in. Now what difference does it make? Does this really make a difference to you and me? You better believe it. First of all, you got to know this. If you say, I, I hear this stuff, but it, it doesn't make sense to me. I, I, doesn't, I just doesn't feel right. I don't know. I'm going to highly encourage you. Do not reject this unless two conditions, either of the two. If you don't believe the Bible's God's word, why wouldn't you reject it? Throw it aside. Number two, don't reject it simply because it just doesn't feel right to me. If you don't see it in the scripture, okay, man, I hope you won't accept it if you don't see it in God's word. But what we don't want to do is say, you know, I know it seems to say it in God's word, but it doesn't make sense to me. 
I just don't want it. Let me tell you, I said this before, God's truth, I mean, cuts right across the grain of human logic. It does throughout the Bible. I mean, think about the very issue of God's favor. How do you find God's favor? Well, what would you say? Well, if you ask anybody on the street, say, how do you find the favor from God? They'd say, well, you got to do what God wants you to do. You got to make him happy. You got to please him. You got to live a good life. I don't know. Well, of course that makes sense. That's what you and I would think. But then we get in the Bible. Most of you know this. You get in the Bible and it's just the total opposite. It says, no, no, in fact, until you come to the place to know that you can't do anything good for God that will merit his love, only then can you come into a love relationship with him. Wow. What about issues like life? How do you find life? Well, you talk to anybody on the street and say, hey, if you really want to enjoy life, what do you do? Well, you get out and experience what you want to experience, to do the things you want to do. You enjoy being with people and doing anything with them you choose to do that makes you feel good. Just live it up, we say. Then you know this, don't you? You get into God's Word and it says, no, actually, if you really want life, you know how you get it? You die. What do you mean you die? You die to yourself. What do you mean? Well, you don't do what you want to do. In fact, very often you do exactly opposite of what you want to do if that's what God would have you to do. And then's when you find life. And we go, do you know there's some of you that are seekers that you've not yet come to faith because in your own mind you're going, I don't want to go there. I've understood that and I don't want to surrender control of my life. But God's word says that's when, when you do, that's when you find life abundant. Wow. Or how do you get? Well, we think, well, the way you get is you just grab and you hold on to and you store up. And God says, no, 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 no. If you really want to get, give. Give and it shall be given to you. Man, you watch how you'll get if you start living a life of giving. Well, what about this lastly? What about how do I get to the top of the pyramid? How do I get where, where I'm really up there? People have to look up to me and I'm, I'm kind of at the top of the chain. How do you get there? Well, the answer is push people down, exalt your own name, throw out your credentials, do what you have to do, and then people will respect you. And Jesus comes along teaching. He says, no. You know what you do? You humble yourself. In fact, the last, they'll be first. People that are slaves, that serve other people, they'll be exalted. Why would we be so confused that the very essence of salvation would cut across the grain? Why would we doubt that? I think it's just logical that it does. But in every episode of the doctrines of grace, it points to what he's done and it points away from what we've done. I know this, the modern church today, the modern church is in trouble. You know that. Never has there been such a selfish church. Never has there been such a powerless church, probably. It's what we're seeing today, the, the typical church member, you know, of most churches. It, it's, it, it's not a deep, awesome faith. It's not, a, it's not a holy life for most people. It's kind of live the way, you, but kind of follow. It's, it's not a holy life. Folks, I, I can't help but believe personally that there's a connection with the theology that stands behind the Christian faith and the way the Christian experiences life with his Savior.
these doctrines will drive you. They will drive you to see the unconditional love of God. So one last illustration. Imagine you're married and your spouse is constantly telling you, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, and you've heard that over and over again. And deep down inside, you're so sick of hearing them say they love you because you rarely, you rarely see them demonstrate that love. And everything in you is screaming out, saying, would you just show me your love? Don't keep telling me you love me. Do you know that's the experience of many people in the Christian faith? Oh, I go to church and I hear God loves me, God loves me, God loves me. And then he throws cancer at me and he throws my, my spouse into rejection of my life and this happens and then that happens. I lose my child, all this. And we say, yeah, God says he loves us. When's he ever going to show us that love? That's the way we experience, many of us, the Christian faith. Let me tell you, folks, these five doctrines, they are God's way of saying to his bride, this is, this is how you can know I love you. I think he would say it something like this. He'd probably say, first of all, you can know that I love you. Here's my proof because you were hostile to me. You had no interest in me. You could have cared less about me. But I for loved you before you ever came into existence, I determined to place my love on you. If that's not enough, number two, I, I chose to love you, you having done no good or evil that my choice would ever stand. It had nothing to do with your choice. I know you don't get that, but I did. And you know what else? I, I sent my son, and I didn't send my son to die for everybody but I did send my son to die for you, you specifically. And you know what? There was no way even in my son's death that you would ever, ever, ever embrace the love that I have for you. Except that I chose to give you a grace that was so irresistible that your heart had to come alive and your eyes opened to see my love and you embraced it, you experienced it and now are enabled by my power to love me back in return. And if that's not enough, please know this, that I have loved you so much that I have made a guarantee to you that you will never, ever slip out of my grasp. And I will hold on for you forever, and I don't care how disobedient you become. I don't care how much you go through all kind of disbelief issues and things that come up in your life, how unfaithful you might become. If you're truly my child and you've come into a relationship with me, I will never let go of you, and that will stand for all eternity, forever and ever and ever. That's how much I love you. And let me tell you, when we begin to hear that, that's when we begin to believe. You know what? These doctrines aren't so bad. These doctrines are the greatest news I could have ever, ever, ever heard because they convince me of the thing that I need most of all, and that's to know I am unconditionally loved dropped in over at one of my kids house their seven year old my grandson was there and his dad said to his son 
why don't you ask Pops what I told you to ask him? I said, what is it, buddy? He said, I, I don't know if I ought to, I don't know if I want to say. His dad and I both encouraged him, well, what is it? He said, I've been having bad days at school. He said, I'm not loved by a lot of people. They don't treat me very good. And it hurts real bad. Oh, my heart sank. I said, buddy, let me, let me just tell you something. This is what they don't know and you got to know. So you're a, you're a child of the covenant. You're in the family of God. And God's love rests on you. And you know, you can take any of your peers, as popular as they may be, and they do not even stand in the same shadow of the Lord Almighty. And that's the one that loves you, and he loves you unconditionally. Now, can you imagine anybody having more than you've got, being more important than loved by the King of Kings? Can you believe that? Well, I didn't know. Does that make any difference? Does it matter? And then my son-in-law shared the next day when he went to bed. He said, Dad, I really feel okay now. I like what Pops had to say. That's made a difference. Well, of course it makes a difference because you begin to believe you're loved. That'll make a difference in any of us. So folks, don't get caught up on which doctrine's correct. Or, listen, go deeper in that. Say which one is biblical, but then look for the expression of God's unconditional love. And the biggest picture we have is the cross of Jesus Christ. You watch that cross. You see what he's done. Your heart will break. And that's my story. My story was I hated when I heard this. I was introduced to these doctrines. And when I did, I said, I don't believe it. I don't like it. God wouldn't be that way. I hope it's not true. And I remember weeping. I, I literally wept over it saying, is this the God that, I, that he's going to do this? And he doesn't choose everybody. And, he choose... and then something happened. And I began to be immersed in thinking through these truths. And let me tell you, I can say, I've said this for years and years. I don't think there's been any single thing that has impacted my love for the Lord deeper than the doctrines of grace. That's what will drive you to saying, oh, God, why me? I feel so loved. And those who are loved well, they love well. So if you're struggling in your faith, go to the doctrines of grace. If you want to meet Christ for the first time, do look at the doctrines of grace. And it'll be all about him. I have little to nothing to do with you. It'll be all about him. And that's what will cause your love to be a great love. I'm telling you, it's true. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we do pray that you would, that you would bring these truths to bear upon our hearts in a special way. I pray, Father, that there would be those of us here that are not your children at this point and would be overwhelmed, that would literally experience your grace so irresistible that without even understanding why, would even now be saying, God, I want you. I fall before you now, and I give my heart to you. Would you just penetrate lives even this moment 
And Father, for so many of us as we are Christians here and we're walking into a new year, Lord, let it be a year where we dive deep into your word, into your church, into your ways. And may we fall more and more in love with you as we see your great love for us. We're blessed and we're thankful. And we pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.